Well, good morning, village uh, and visitors. If you're joining us visiting online for the first time this morning, you're really welcome. Uh, my name is Andrew. I'm one of the pastors here at Village Church, and it's just good to have you all along this morning. Uh, we're continuing this teaching series uh, in the parables with Jesus, and we've called this series Kingdom Culture because the, the parables are stories that Jesus used to teach his disciples and his followers and, and anyone who would listen what the kingdom of heaven is like. And the kingdom of heaven is this, this kind of new world order that Jesus is bringing into the world uh, where he will reign in perfect peace and justice forever. Um, And Jesus' work here on earth was to to bring about, to start this kingdom, to inaugurate this kingdom and to make a way for people to enter the kingdom through his death and his resurrection. Uh, And so a large part of his teaching was about what the kingdom of heaven is like, what this new world that Jesus is creating, that God is creating through the work of Jesus will be like. And this morning's parable, Jesus is teaching about forgiveness in the kingdom of heaven. So I have two kids, uh, Abigail's two and a half, uh, Finley just turned six, and the other morning I came into the living room and there was just cereal all over the, all over the carpet, all over the living room floor, and Abigail um, was just standing in the middle of this pile of cereal um, with an empty box in her hand looking very, very guilty. So I did what comes naturally to me at seven o'clock in the morning. I yelled at her and then I put her on the naughty step. Um, And she did what comes naturally to her uh, when she's yelled at and that's crying. (laughs) Um, But here's the thing. When I went back into the living room, Finley, our boy, he told me that that, that, that actually it was an accident, that, that Abigail didn't mean to, to pour out the cereal and that she was actually trying to pick it up again when I came into the room. So uh, I had yelled at her for no reason. I had punished her for no reason. Not exactly my uh, finest parenting moment, uh, not one to look back on with, with pride. But um, anyway, I, I tried to make amends. So I went to her and I picked her up and I gave her a cuddle and, and I said, look, look, Daddy's sorry. I'm so sorry. I, I shouldn't have yelled at you. I was wrong. I'm so sorry. Do you forgive me? And she looked at me, up at me through these tears and uh, with the saddest eyes you've ever seen in your life. And she just said, no. (laughs) And uh, so that was not exactly the response that I was looking for. It wasn't the response that I was hoping for. uh, But that was the response I I got. And and we can laugh about that, right? We can laugh. There's something cute about a two-year-old refusing to forgive someone. There's something cute about uh, that. But but that kind of same behavior of unforgiveness, it's not cute. When it comes to adults, it's ugly, in fact. I'm sure we all know somebody who's been involved in a family feud, or maybe you are involved in a family feud. When maybe something happens and between two members of the family and they can't forgive each other, and, and then other members of the family start taking sides, and, and before you know it, the family is divided, and these things can go on for years and years. Uh, and, and there are a few things more destructive to human relationships than unforgiveness, aren't there? In fact, it's practically impossible for a relationship to continue after someone has been hurt without forgiveness. Or maybe you've heard someone say, or or you said it yourself maybe, I will never forgive them for this. I will never forgive them for this. And sometimes when we hear this, we say, well, well, yes, that's right. He he or she, they, they, they don't deserve forgiveness. What they've done is so bad that they don't deserve forgiveness for that. Uh, last year, uh, Greta Thunberg was speaking at the United Nations Climate, uh, Climate Action Summit in, in front of these world leaders and she was, she was speaking about their lack of action uh, on climate change and she said, uh, we will never forgive you. Talking of her generation, of the young generation, we will never forgive you for not acting sooner. 
And that, it was that line that she got the biggest uh, response to. There was a massive round of applause and cheers were going up when she said that. You see, and I'm not making any comments about <laughs> Greta Thunberg and I'm using that as an example, that, that, that in our human sinful nature, our desire is to respond to hurt with unforgiveness. Our desire, in fact, is to respond to hurt with vengeance. It's not in human nature to forgive. To err is human, to forgive divine, Alexander Pope said, and he was right. Human nature returns hurt with revenge, but Christ's nature returns hurt with forgiveness. And this is what Jesus is trying to teach his disciples with this parable. He wants them to see that there's a better way, that the kingdom of heaven is the way of forgiveness. This parable is about forgiveness and specifically forgiveness within the community of the church, within the community of the Christian believers. Now, like most people who have small kids, I hear a lot of silly questions and so do Jesus. In fact, I'm probably responsible for asking a lot of silly questions. Jesus heard a lot of silly questions and if you read, read through the Gospels, you'll know uh, that, that he gets asked a lot of silly questions. But here's one of the times when Jesus actually gets asked a good question. Peter has a really good question for Jesus. You see, Jesus has been teaching, uh, uh, teaching his disciples about what to do when someone in the church wrongs you and how you should handle that. And he's teaching them about how to handle um, uh, this situation. And then he, uh, Peter picks up on this. And he's already says in verse 21 of Matthew chapter 18, he, he, it's a really good question. He says, Lord, how often will I, should, 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 will I for, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? In other words, he's saying, how often should we forgive people who hurt us? How often should we forgive people who sin against us? And he says, should we forgive them seven times? And Peter has been learning. Peter's starting to catch on what Jesus has been teaching. He's starting to realize something about the kingdom of heaven. You see, the religious leaders of the, of the time taught that you only had to forgive someone three times. And then the fourth time they wronged you, you cut them off. That you, you were not to forgive them after that. And Peter knows by now, well, listen, Jesus likes to go a little bit further here. So maybe if I double it and add one, that'll be the, the, the number of times we have to forgive people. So he doubles it, adds one, and gets seven. And he said, this must be really generous. Uh, but surely there's still a limit. You can't just keep on forgiving people. But Jesus answers him and Jesus says, listen, Peter, uh, no. Jesus says you have to forgive someone 77 times. Or some translations, you may have heard it as 70 times seven times. And what Jesus is really saying is, listen, Peter, uh, the numbers aren't important. It's not, it's not important how often you forgive someone or how many times you forgive them. It's important that your heart is a heart of forgiveness. Don't keep a list. Don't keep uh, ticking off every time you forgive someone like some kind of you know, forgiveness and loyalty card. That's not how it works. It's time to stop counting and start forgiving. If someone wrongs you and, can, and comes and asks for forgiveness, then there's no limit to the amount of times we should forgive them. And even if they hurt us over and over and over again, our response is the same, to forgive. The amount of forgiveness is irrelevant because forgiveness is the way of disciples. Unlimited forgiveness is the way of the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus uses this parable to explain this concept to them. To explain that the way of the kingdom is not about the, the amount of forgiveness, but our attitude of forgiveness. 
And here's what Jesus is saying through this parable. Here's what Jesus says. The key of this parable is God has forgiven our unpayable debt of sin. So we must forgive our brothers and sisters sins or else face the eternal judgment. God has forgiven our unpayable debt of sin. And so we must forgive our brothers and sisters sins or else face God's eternal judgment. Or here's a simpler way of putting it that you might remember. Forgiven people forgive. That's just the way we are. Forgiven people forgive. That's just the way we are. So let's look at this parable and get into the details of what Jesus is teaching. There's three scenes in this story. Uh, and, and the first one is, is this scene that we see happening between the king and, and his servant. So let's look at scene one and f- see our first lesson this morning. That the king forgives an unpayable debt. The grace of God. Listen to what happens in verses 23 to 30, 27 again. I'll just read it for us. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may, may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed, owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold and his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. And so the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in debt or, or maybe you are in debt. debt. Debt is kind of a feature of, of modern life in many ways. Credit cards, car payments, mortgages, that kind of thing. But maybe some of you have experienced unmanageable debt. Maybe, maybe some of you have experienced the kind of debt where you're just thinking, I just don't know how I can pay this. It's a suffocating, crushing feeling. Now imagine if the bank came to your house tomorrow and knocked the door and said, listen, uh, we want our money back right now on this mortgage. Otherwise, you're going to be homeless. How would you feel? How would you feel in that situation? For most of us, it would be completely impossible to pay that debt. Well, that doesn't even come close to the debt of the servant in this story. Jesus says he owes 10,000 talents and a talent was the highest unit of money they had back then and 10,000 was the highest number that they had. So Jesus saying this servant owes the king uh, uh, the highest amount of money possible. It's like saying in our language that he owes the king gazillions of pounds. That's what he's saying. It's, It's a ridiculous figure. It's a figure that's so big it doesn't even exist. It's an impossible amount of money. And this is just like us. You see, every single person owes an unpayable debt to God. God is perfect. And that just means that God is perfectly just. Sorry. He's perfectly just. And that just means that that he is perfectly fair. And so when, when something wrong is done, it needs to be paid for. It needs to be made right. Just like in football. Uh, when a player is fouled, there's a, there's a penalty for that. Or, or, in the, or in law, when you break the law, right? There are penalties for that. This is a, a universal truth that we all know and accept. That we all, we all accept that when something wrong is done, amends have to be made. It has to be paid for to be put right. And when the wrong is done to a perfectly holy and infinite and eternal God, the penalty is eternally severe. Romans 6.23 tells us that the wages of sin is death. And right from the very first sin recorded in the Bible, we see this. You see, when Adam and Eve rejected God's way in the Garden of Eden, death entered. God provided a way. He, he killed two animals to cover their shame and, and clothe them in the furs of animals. 
And right throughout the Old Testament, the debt of sin owed by the people was temporarily paid for by the, 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 the sacrificial death of animals. Year after year after year, the death of animals paying for the wrongs of the people. The wages of sin is death and sin has to be paid for. The wrongs have to be put right because God is holy and God is perfectly fair. He is just. But how are we ever going to pay this debt uh, to God? And, and how are we ever going to pay this debt to an infinitely just God, a, a perfectly holy God? This is the unpayable debt we owe, that we have rejected God. We have sinned against him and he is perfect. And this wrong needs made right. This debt needs to be paid. This is the unpayable debt that we owe. And a couple of thousand years worth of animal sacrifices couldn't do it. You know why? Because we keep messing up again. The, de- the, debt, the debt we owe is limitless because our capacity to sin is limitless. Jesus talks about our sin as an unpayable, impossible debt because he knows that there is nothing, absolutely nothing, that we can do to make up for our rejection of God, for our sin against God. It's like throwing pennies to a debt of billions. And so the servant in the story knows that there's only, there's only one thing he can do here. He has to beg. He's come to the end of the line. He, he's run out of time. He has to beg. And so he, he throws himself in the, the mercy of the king, hoping that somehow something might change. And, and so he falls on his knees and he begs the king. He says, have patience with me. And then he says, and I will pay you back everything I owe. Now, wait a minute. What's he thinking? We, we know that this is an impossible debt and he knows it's an impossible debt. Why is he saying that, that, that he, he'll pay him back? Just give me time and I can pay it back. It's a ridiculous statement. Even in the face of an impossible debt, the servant still thinks that he has a chance of paying the king back. And this is like us, isn't it? We think that somehow we can be good enough. Somehow we can earn our way back into God's favour. But the Bible says in Isaiah 64 that all our righteous deeds are like filthy rags. See, the truth is that that no matter how good we think we are, even if we had all of eternity to try and pay back our debt, we could never do it. Firstly, because our debt is infinite. And secondly, all we have to contribute to it are filthy rags. Anything we can offer to pay off our debt of sin is worthless. Our best efforts are worthless because our hearts are still sinful. But then in the story, the king does something incredible, something that the Jesus audience would have just seemed completely ridiculous, to be honest. It would have been unthinkable what happens next. This is like us hearing a fantasy story because the king had compassion on the servant and he writes off the debt. He just forgives him completely. He just said, it's done. I forgive you. And mind you, it wasn't without consequences because because the king had just lost a gazillion pounds. The king took the consequences. It cost the king an unimaginable amount to forgive the debt of his servant. We often just focus on the the servant. Isn't that incredible? He's just written off. But remember, the wrong has to be made right. The sin has to be paid for. The debt has to be paid. 
And the king absorbs that debt a gazillion pounds. I'm going to take that. I'm going to take that hit for you. I, I will pay this debt for you. And whenever you hear people talking about the grace of God, this is it. God forgiven our impossible, unpayable debt at great cost to himself. You see, God is perfectly fair. And so even though he forgives our debt of sin, payment still has to be made. But God pays that debt himself. Jesus, who is God, pays the penalty of death. Remember, the wages of sin is death. And so the death falls on God himself so that we can go free. 1 Peter 3.18 says that, that Christ suffered once for sin, the completely righteous for the completely unrighteous. Why? So that he could bring us to God. The king forgives our unpayable debt. This is the amazing grace of God. And listen, maybe you're not a Christian and you're joining us this morning. So glad you are. Well, well can I just say, this is the free gift that's, that's available to you this morning. You have this unpayable debt, but Jesus paid it all for you. That's the grace of God. And all you need to do is just accept that. It's just believe it. You don't have to contribute anything. You don't have to try and be good. You don't have to uh, try and amend your ways to, to make yourself more worthy. You don't have to come along with your one penny and say, can I contribute my one penny to this billion pound debt? No. You just believe it. You just accept it, that Jesus paid it all. It's paid in full. That There's nothing more to do. There's nothing more to add. And listen, if, if we're going to take away one thing from this sermon this morning, let it be this. That our impossible debt is only outmatched by the amazing grace of God. Our impossible debt is only outmatched by the amazing grace of God. The grace of God is this, that the king forgives our unpayable debt at great cost to himself. Amazing grace. And so the story moves on to scene two. Sorry about that. The story moves on to scene two. And in this scene, we see what happens when the servant, and uh, what happens between the servant and another servant who happens to owe him money. And here we see in scene two, we have been forgiven, so we must forgive. This is the call of God in our lives. We've been forgiven, so we must forgive others. The call of God. Listen what happens to our servant after he's been forgiven. Verses 28 to 30. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii and seizing him, he began to choke him saying, pay what you owe. So this fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. And he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. This is not what's supposed to happen, is it? Right, this guy isn't supposed to behave like this. That we just know this is wrong. This is not the response that we thought was going to come. And, and uh, we're, we're angry about it. And I think Jesus, that's the point. He wants us to be angry about it. He wants us to see how wrong this is. He wants us to be angry because it's so unfair. This guy should be the humility of, or the picture of humility and forgiveness and joy and, and gratitude. We, we expect the, the Christmas carol ending, right? Don't we? You know Charles Dickens' Christmas carol. I'm sure you've all heard the story at least. And Scrooge has shown the error of his ways. Uh, and he's given a second chance in life. And then he changes. He forgives people. He becomes generous. He wants to help people. He, he, he takes a second chance. And he changes his ways. 
But, and this is what we expect to happen here in the parable, but it doesn't go this way. And what happens in Jesus' parable is actually way more realistic than a Christmas carol. Because sin runs deep. Hearts are hard. Forgiveness is not our natural response. Sin is irrational. Sin is cruel. You can just imagine this servant who's received this amazing grace of the king. And, and he's, I, I can imagine him, you know, he's on his knees and he's in tears. And, and it's maybe taken him some time to, to compose himself. And, and finally he gets up and, and, and it's starting to sink in and he leaves the palace. And you can imagine him coming down the steps of the palace. And, and you're thinking, well, the first thing he's going to do, surely he's just going to run home and tell his wife. We know he's married and he has kids. Maybe he, he's going to run home and tell his wife and his kids this great news that they're finally free of their debt, that they don't have to worry about the bailiffs coming knocking the doors anymore. This, this, this incredible weight that's been hanging over them is gone. But this is not what he, he does. He doesn't run home to tell his wife the amazing news. He goes looking for a fellow servant who owes him a debt. And he finds him. This is the first thing he does. He goes, and, he goes looking for him. He finds him. When he, find, when he found him, he began to choke him saying, pay what you owe. He began to choke him. And he's telling him, give me my money. Uh, surely this must be some incredible debt. For him to behave in an extreme way like this, this is pretty extreme. He's assaulting this guy. He's choking the life out of him, saying, saying pay me the money that you owe me. Like, like, what are we talking? Millions? Billions? Gazillions even? Well, no. Jesus tells us it's a, it, it, the second servant owes his, his, his fellow servant a hundred denarii. And that's, that's about a hundred days wages back then. Uh, I mean, so four months salary. So... It's a substantial amount of money. I'm not sure that any of us would want to owe someone four months of our salary, but it's a substantial amount of money, yes, but it's nothing compared to the gazillions of pounds that the first servant owed to the king. Compared to the first debt, this is an insignificant amount of money. Think of it this way. Our debt to God, the the, the sin against God, is, is like the distance from earth to the sun. It's huge. It's vast. It's, it's almost an impossible uh, distance. But our debts to each other. So when I sin against you and you sin against me, it's like the distance from, say, here to Coleraine, from Belfast to Coleraine. It's still a significant distance. You wouldn't have to, to walk it. But when we compare it to the distance of the sun, it's actually nothing. It's incomparable. How, how do you compare 60 miles to 93 million miles? And Jesus is saying... If God can cross 93 million miles, you can cross 60. The forgiveness we give is nothing compared to the forgiveness we've received. That's the point. The forgiveness, that the hurts that we've had done to us by others are nothing compared to the offense that we've given to God. The, the hurt that we've given to God. The sin that we've done against God. But our man in the story, he doesn't do this. He doesn't try to cross the 60 miles. His heart is hard. He, he's, he's not looking at the forgiveness he's received. He's just looking at the wrong that has been done to him. He's forgotten the grace that he's received. Even when this guy pleads with him, he uses the exact same words that he used to plead to the king. Have patience with me. I will pay you what I owe. And you would think, well, that would jog his memory, wouldn't it? You know, he'd remember the, the grace that he's received and, and, and surely his heart would soften. But no, he is hell bent on getting what is owed to him. 
And so he takes the guy and has him thrown in prison, hoping that maybe in those days what would happen, it's kind of like being bailed out, that, that someone would, would pay his debt just to, so he's released from prison. And this is what he does. Actually, it says he, he, he throws him, um, yeah, he throws him in, in prison. You see what's going on here? You see, this should make us angry. This is an outrage. This is outrageous. And can you see how ugly it is when, 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 when a Christian refuses to forgive another Christian brother or sister? Can you see how ugly and destructive that is? It's cute in a two-year-old. It's funny when, when a two-year-old says it to me at seven o'clock in the morning, but it's disgusting and destructive in adults. It tears the kingdom of God apart. It tears the church apart. By refusing to forgive our, uh, brothers or sisters who wrong us, we are denying them the grace of God that we've received. By refusing to forgive them, we're saying, I deserve the grace of God, but you don't. By refusing to forgive them, we're saying, Jesus died for me, but he didn't die for you. How horrible unforgiveness is. This is why Jesus is saying there is no place for unforgiveness in the kingdom of heaven. Forgiveness is the way of the disciple because forgiveness is the way of God. We are forgiven people, so we are forgiving people. Forgiven people forgive. That's just the way we are, Jesus is saying. Forgiven people forgive. That's just what we do. And no matter how times the same person wrongs us, we forgive them. Our forgiveness is limitless because the grace of God is limitless. Now, what I'm saying is, is, is true, and I 100% totally believe this. We are forgiven, so we forgive. But there's a few things I want to, to maybe just recognize about forgiveness. Because forgiveness is hard, and we'll come to that. Firstly, we need to face up to the fact that, that there is an almost 100% chance that we will be hurt or wronged by one of our brothers or sisters in the church. And there's even a possibility that this will happen repeatedly, that the same person will hurt us over and over and over again. The church is, is made up entirely of people, sinful, hurting, broken people who are just like we are, saved by the grace of Jesus. And, and guess what? Sinful people sin. <laughs> That's just what happens. And so we need to be ready to forgive. This needs to be our posture. This needs to be in our hearts and our minds, even before we need it, you know? This needs to be the ace up our sleeves that we can play when we need to. And listen, I'm not talking about letting hurt go unaddressed. That's not what I'm saying. When Jesus speaks about forgiveness here, he's not saying, you know, just sweep things under the carpet and ignore them. Forget about it. Sin does have to be dealt with and, and addressed. And, and that's what Jesus has been, been teaching about just before he tells this parable. He's talking about, well, if someone in the church does wrong you, how do you handle that? And how do you actually start this process of forgiveness? There is, there is an owning up process that has to happen. There's a recognition of hurt that's done by both sides that has to happen for reconciliation and forgiveness to take place. So he's not saying just, you know, uh, sweep the sin under the carpet, sweep that hurt under the carpet, just bury it down and, and forget about it. But forgiveness does need to be in our hearts before someone even says sorry. We do need to be ready to forgive, to come into any conflict situation with an attitude of forgiveness. 
When someone hurts us, it's already our posture of, I want to forgive this person. I'm going to forgive this person. I have forgiven this person, even before they say sorry. That's the way of the kingdom of heaven. Jesus didn't wait to die for you until you were ready to say sorry, did he? No. He died for you while you didn't even want forgiveness. Romans 5 5 verse 8, God showed his love for this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is the heart attitude that we need to have. We are ready to forgive because we have been forgiven. Secondly, Anne, I, I just want to recognize that forgiveness is hard. True in your heart, to- I totally forgive you. Forgiveness is hard. I mean, it's pretty easy to say the words, isn't it? You know, I, you know, I forgive you and, and then just hold on to whatever's been eating you up. Like I, I do it all the time in my marriage, you know, Healy will say, are you okay? And I'll be like, yeah, I'm fine. <laughs> you know that one? Yeah, I'm, I'm fine. You know, we, we all do that. Like, and and I, I think that that's not what Jesus is talking about here either. That, that heart level forgiveness is hard. Life is messy. Life is complex. Life is complicated. And, and rarely in life are situations of hurt and conflict just black and white. Rarely does it happen that the person just goes, yes, I was totally wrong and you did, you did nothing wrong and I did everything wrong. Please forgive me. That rarely happens. And so when, when I say uh, that the message of this parable is forgiven people forgive, that's just what we do. Yes, that's 100% true. And yes, I totally believe that that's what we're called to. But but I know that some of you will have situations that are so painful and so complex that forgiveness seems impossible. Marriages end. Friends betray us. I think of even our situation here in Northern Ireland. The hurt and grief and pain uh, caused by generations of violent conflict is not easily forgiven. I know this. And listen, I just want to say if that's you feeling that way today, today, I know this, and even more important, Jesus knows this. Jesus knows that it's hard to forgive. More often than not, forgiveness is a process. And it's a process that Jesus, in his grace, in his mercy, just walks with you, uh, walks with through, with, walks through with you. And he's promised, I will never leave you or forsake you. He's with us all the time by, the, by his Holy Spirit present in us. And, and Jesus walks through this process of forgiveness and that's something that, that your pastors want to walk through with you as well if we can help you in any way. You see, Jesus is acutely aware of the depth of pain you feel. He's acutely aware of the hurt that you've received. He knows what betrayal feels like. He knows what it's like to, to, to be betrayed by the ones you love most. And so when you feel that hardness to forgive, Jesus isn't here to bully you. One of my favorite verses in the whole Bible is Isaiah 42, 3. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. A bruised reed he will not break. That just means that, 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 that Jesus is tender to the hurting. He's, he's soft-hearted to the weak and the grieving and the hurting and the confused. He's not here to break you. He's not here to snuff out your, your, your tiny smoldering flame. He walks through the process of forgiveness, even forgiving the deepest hurt that you've experienced. He's not here to bully you. But he does require us who have been to forgive, us who have been forgiven to forgive. That's what is required in the kingdom of God. We who've received forgiveness, we are to forgive others. So how do we do this? 
And the answer is, we look to Jesus. It's the, it's the, it's the simple Sunday school answer. We, we, just Jesus. We keep our eyes fixed on him. We remember the grace that we've received. You see, the, the servant, uh, when he left the palace of the king, he, 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 forgot, he forgot the grace that he'd received almost instantly. And, and if we don't keep reminding ourselves of that grace, we will forget quickly too. The grace of God should be our, our favorite thing to talk, talk about with each other. The grace of God, we, this should never cease to amaze us. Forgiveness would come way more naturally to us if forgiveness was regularly on our minds. We need to remember that, that even the deepest sin done to us by somebody else is nothing compared to the sin that we've done to God. What we've been forgiven is way more than anything we will ever have to forgive. Like the distance from, from here to the sun compared to, to here to cold rain. Our forgiveness is limitless. Our forgiveness should be limitless because God's grace is limitless. And aren't, and aren't you glad that, that there's no limit to God's grace? I, I know I am because I know how many times I've sinned just today. In fact, I've, I've probably sinned more than I even know. Aren't we glad that there's no limit to God's forgiveness? Isn't this how we want to, to isn't this how we want to be treated with, with, with an infinite amount of forgiveness? We want to be forgiven an infinite amount of times because we know that there is no limit to our ability to mess up. And the other thing is, we have so much as the church to offer our culture in this. Our our culture right now. <coughs> A culture that talks about tolerance but doesn't really know how to forgive. A culture that speaks of tolerance and acceptance but doesn't really forgive. Even in Northern Ireland, we can show Northern Ireland a better way. This is, one of, this is why one of our values as a church is reconciliation and renewal. That in the kingdom of God, we know that nationalists and unionists can live in harmony and love together. Forgiving each other for past hurts, being reconciled not by their own ability to come together or not on their political views, but come together because they are both sinners saved by the grace of Jesus alone. We can live out the forgiveness of God. We can show the world the attractiveness of what forgiveness looks like. By forgiving others no matter how deep the hurt and, and, how many, and no matter how many times they hurt us. By looking to Jesus, by remembering the grace of God, Forgiven people forgive. That's just what we do. Finally then, we come to the third scene in the story. And with it comes Jesus' strong warning. Judgment awaits those who don't forgive. This is the justice of God. Listen to what he says in these last few verses from 31 to 35. When the fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master, to the king, all that had taken place. Then his master summoned, summoned him, that's our original servant, and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. And here's the warning from Jesus, 35. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. That heart 
level forgiveness. Now this may shock you. It may make you uncomfortable. And it's meant to. Jesus is being direct. He's being strong. But he's also being loving because isn't a message of warning, isn't any act of warning an act of love? Jesus is warning of the eternal judgment for those who don't forgive others. God's judgment is the result for you if you know of the immeasurable grace of God and you don't show that grace to others. Now, we don't like to talk about hell. I don't like to talk about hell. It's, it's so serious. It's so, so painful. It's solemn. It's, it's hard to think about. In fact, just this week, I was joking uh, with, the, with the other elders that, that I have to preach about hell again. You know, old fire and brimstone elder over here. But, but listen, if we, if we want to be faithful to what Jesus is teaching, if I want to open up this book and, and, and teach what Jesus is teaching, we can't not talk about hell. Jesus spoke about it a lot. And very often in the parables, in fact. And here we see the king in anger hands the unforgiving servant over to the jailers. That, that word can also mean tormentors, actually. And we don't like to think of God getting angry, do we? We, we like the first part of the parable. But let's go back to scene one. And scene one, wow, this amazingly kind king, he, he, he uh, forgives this servant this un, un, unmeasurable debt. Um, we love that. God, God just forgives everyone and then we all love each other. We all sit around the campfire saying kumbaya or whatever it is. Like, we just love that. And the truth is God does forgive those who repent. And thank God he does. Otherwise none of us would be forgiven. But also the truth is that God does get angry. And we need him to get angry. This is crucial to understand. Just as we get angry when we hear what the servant did to the other servant, when we hear of injustice, when we, when we hear of people of black and ethnic minorities being, being oppressed because of the color of their skin, it should make us angry. And, and God gets angry with injustice too. And God, God's anger actually shows us that he is holy. It shows us that he is perfectly just. It shows that he's perfectly fair. God gets angry with injustice. And if he didn't, he wouldn't be holy. But here's the thing. Almost every time we get angry, we can't do it without sinning. But God can. God's anger is always justified. It's always a right anger. Because injustice has to be dealt with. Sin has to be put right. That debt has to be paid. And so the unforgiving servant is put in prison. And here's the thing about this prison. It's a permanent prison. His debt is gazillions of pounds. It's an unpayable amount. And even in prison, he's got no way to pay the debt anyway. Jesus paints a picture of a reality that he wants us to avoid. Jesus is saying, listen, put yourself in, in this guy's shoes. He's in a debtor's prison forever. And this is what awaits those who know the forgiveness of God and don't forgive others. This is the loving warning that Jesus is given here. And maybe we think, well, that doesn't apply to me because I'm a Christian. I know Jesus died for me. But who is Jesus speaking to here? Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he says in verse 35, So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. There's actually only a few times in the gospel uh, where, where, where Jesus talks about hell and judgment to unbelievers. Maybe three or four times at most. 
But most of the time when he, when he teaches on hell, he's, he's talking to his followers uh, just like he is here. You see, Jesus teaches about the danger of hell to his followers to wake us up, to spur us on. We're meant to hear this as a warning and, and think about our own hearts and ask ourselves, do I have a heart attitude of forgiveness because I have been forgiven? Forgiven. Am I ready to forgive my brothers and sisters when they wrong me, no matter how deep the hurt is or no matter how many times they hurt me? Because if we're not, if our heart isn't like that, the consequences are severe. We, we face the eternal judgment and punishment of God. Now, one last thing. Maybe you're thinking, well, hold on. If Jesus is speaking to Christians here uh, about hell and he's warning them about that, is Jesus saying that you can be a Christian and, and then lose your salvation and go to hell? Well, no, he's not saying that at all. Not at all. If you've been saved by the grace of God, you cannot lose your salvation. You see, forgiveness is not a condition of our salvation, but it is a consequence of it. In other words, to put it simply, we don't forgive others in order to get saved, but we forgive others because we have been saved. And a heart-level response to, to hurt of forgiveness shows that we have been truly, we've truly received the forgiveness of God. Because the sinful nature responds to hurt with revenge, but the Christ-like nature responds to hurt with forgiveness. And so if we are truly in Jesus, we will respond to hurt with forgiveness. It may not be instant, it may not be perfect, but our overall response to hurt will be a desire to forgive the person who has hurt us. And if our hearts have been transformed by the grace of God, we will live transformed lives. If we have been forgiven, we will forgive. Forgiven people forgive. That's just what we do. And Jesus is saying, not that you can lose your salvation and go to hell. But he's saying that, that if we're not characterized by forgiveness, we need to be careful because maybe we haven't really received God's forgiveness at all. Because disciples are characterized by forgiven hearts. So let me, ask, let me finish by, by asking this question. Who do you need to forgive? Who's wronged you that you need to, to forgive in your heart? It could be something small that, that you've been holding on to that you just need to let go of. Or it could be something big and, and complex and, and messy and deeply painful. And maybe even something that you've, you've buried deep down inside for years. Who do you need to forgive? This is the calling of God on us as Christians. So, so, so don't put it off any longer. Start that process of forgiveness today. And listen, we would love to help you any way we can. If there's any way we can, can help and guide you and lead you in that and, 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 and pray for you in that, then please get in touch. And let's be reminded that this amazing thing, that, that Jesus isn't just uh, our, our example, he's our redeemer. He just doesn't show us how to forgive he, he, uh, and expect us to do it on our own. He shows us, but he also enables us, empowers us to do that. We, we forgive because we have been forgiven. We look to Jesus, we look at the cross, we see the amazing grace of God that, that forgives our uh, unpayable debt, our impossible debt that Jesus pays on our behalf. We think of the grace that we've received, that God has forgiven our unpayable debt, so we must forgive our brothers and sisters when they sin against us. Forgiven people forgive. That's just what we do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, 
We're just so thankful for your grace, for your mercy. Thank you for that um, just unbelievable truth that you paid our debt, a debt that we couldn't even scratch the surface of, a debt that was so far beyond our reach, but yet you uh, forgive that at great cost to yourself. Lord, I just pray that, that we would be uh, full of admiration for your grace this morning. Our, our hearts would be thankful that, that we would uh, just want to speak about your grace over and over and over again. And then that grace would transform our lives. That grace would flow from you to us and then to others. That we would have a heart, heart attitudes of forgiveness. That we would be going into any conflict situation ready to forgive. Teach us how to forgive, Lord. Father, we need your help in this as we need your help within everything. And, and now as we... Uh, take the bread and the wine again. Uh, Lord, we ask that, that, that the evidence of that grace, of your sacrifice to pay our debt, would just become so, uh, so obvious to us, that we would, we would experience that in new and fresh ways this morning. Would, you, your grace would seem overwhelming to us. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' almighty name. Amen. Uh, we're we're going to take communion together uh, as we do every Sunday. So hopefully you've got some bread and wine at home. Um, and as you do that, remember that, 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 that these things are symbols that remind us of, of, of that grace of God, that, that this is what it cost for the king to absorb our unpayable debt, that, that he took on that debt at great cost to himself, the cost of his own, his own son, that God sacrificed his own son, Jesus, so that he could pay our debt. And we know that Jesus is with us in a really special way when we take communion, imparting his grace to us uh, so that, that we can remember and, and proclaim and declare once again that Jesus died for me and that my sins are forgiven because of his grace. So when you take this, just say to yourself or to each other that the, the body of Christ broken for me and the blood of Christ shed for me. And let's remember that on amazing grace. Um, and then let's go and do that to other people. And John is going to lead us in a couple more songs while we do that.